0: It's Monday, March 12th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell and this is the Defender Podcast a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. and Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke as we walk through Luke chapter 9, verse 57, through Luke chapter 10, verse 24. And so today we are going to see the disciples and their mission, the radical Cost of following Jesus, and and we're going to see in this passage that that really Luke book ends chapter nine of Luke chapter nine. He he starts with the sending out of the twelve apostles, and then he he ends uh, the first section of Luke chapter nine with this awesome discourse to take up your cross and follow Jesus. When he says, if anyone quoting the words of Christ would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his Christ daily and follow me forever would save his life. will lose it. but Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him, will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so we see that that Luke starts with what Jesus told the disciples about following him, taking up their cross, denying themselves, and following after Jesus. And he he ends Luke chapter 9 really with more definition of what does it look like to deny oneself? What does it look like to deny the things of this world and to truly radically follow Christ? And so what, is it, what does it look like when we have wholehearted devotion to Jesus? And that's what we're going to see, the radical cost of following Jesus, the mission here in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through Luke chapter 10, verse 24. And so this is what the word of the Lord says in Luke's gospel, starting in verse 57. It says, as they were going, the disciples and Jesus along the road Someone said to him, being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Verse chapter 10, verse 1. 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter... And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Oh, verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon. They were repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the de- judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Oh, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Father is except... Who the Son is except the Father, or the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets will de- and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so we look at this passage starting in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and we see two things that Jesus is doing first in this passage when he talks about the cost of following Christ, the radical cost of following Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus is offering himself for our fellowship, our friendship and partnership and mission. Just think of it. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting, who was perfect in life, triumphant over sin, death, hell and demons. Right. He is asking us to join him in mission. Oh, he he sees this, verse 57. He was going along the road, and this man comes up to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh, he's saying you may have nowhere to lay your head. You may be homeless. You may not know where your next meal is coming from. But if Christ is yours, you have great hope. Jesus was offering himself not the stuff of the world, not the created things, but the creator. The creator of the universe was offering relationship, his fellowship, his friendship, and his partnership. Oh, beloved, but we focus too much on what has to be lost or forfeited, and we don't focus enough on what is gained in a passage like this, right? Three times we see this whole discourse, follow me. Twice people say, I will follow you. And once Jesus commands, follow me. And three times there's an excuse. The first excuse is, well, I I don't want to be homeless. The second excuse is, I got to go bury my dad. And the third excuse is, well, I, I want to look back and make sure that I, that I say goodbye to my family. And the truth of the matter is when we look at passages like these, we think they're hard and they are hard. They're difficult passages and, and they're hard because we put too much stock in the things that are having to be given up. we put too much stock in our homes. Really? Like I have to give up my home, my, my pleasure, my comfort to follow Christ? Or, or we put too much stock in taking care of our plans and our dreams and we look at, but but just want to go to a funeral. I just want to do my duty as a son or do my duty as a daughter. Or we put too much stock on the life that we're giving up, the things, the relationships, the places, the people, the opportunities. Oh, but that's the thing. We focus too much on what is being lost and we don't focus on the glorious gain, the relational abiding with Christ. John Patton was a missionary to the new Huberty Savages. And he said this uh, in his journal. He said, I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrow did my Lord draw near to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among these these chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to Feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul alone, all alone in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then. Beloved, you cannot take your home. You cannot take your relationships. You cannot take your stuff with you. The only thing that you can take out of this life is a relationship with the all abiding Savior. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of the The radical cost of discipleship. And so I I want us to quickly see three characteristics of the worth of Christ that we see at the end of Luke chapter 9. First, Jesus is worthy of all of our unconditional truth. Trust. He's, He's worthy of all of our unconditional trust. Jesus is telling this guy that if he follows him, he has no guarantee of shelter over his head, no guarantee of food, no guarantee of anything regarding the basic necessities of life. If he follows Jesus, all he has is Jesus. But Jesus is worthy of all our trust. Beloved, do we trust Jesus with our future? Or are we holding on to the reins with sweaty palms? Do we trust Jesus with our lives? Or do we simply trust him when things seem to be going right? Oh, beloved, Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, But the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. We don't know what the future may hold, but we know who holds the future, and you can trust Jesus with your life. If God is calling you to adopt or to foster or to care for orphans or to go to the nations to spread the gospel, you may look back and see all the things that you will miss, the comfort of your family in its current situation, the comfort of your home, the comfort of your city, the comfort of your life. But Jesus is measurably more than that. And he is worthy of our unconditional trust. But second, Jesus is worthy of all of our plans and dreams. You see this young man, he, he says to him, I, I need to go bury my father. And, and many scholars have, have debated, was was the dad already passed away? And, and so in Jewish tradition, it might have been a very long funeral passage and, and, and times that the son would have to do for his family. Or did it mean that this father was near death? You know, Recently, uh, Reverend Billy Graham passed away. And, and we've heard that for two to three years, he was in such failing health that his family thought at any moment the Lord may take him. Right. So was he going, hey, my dad's uh, on his deathbed and I need to be there. No matter what it was, no matter what the the, the condition was, Jesus says some pretty bold and pretty bash words. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. There is a responsibility, there's an obligation that supersedes every other responsibility and obligation in life, and that responsibility, that obligation is for us to proclaim the kingdom of God. There is no greater gift than to have the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of the kingdom of God. Everything else, every other opportunity, pales in comparison. Whether those are familial opportunities and obligations, or if there are plans and dreams to to make money or to be an entrepreneur, no matter what God has called us to do, nothing, nothing can compare to the all forsaking opportunity to make known the kingdom of God. I, I remember being a young follower of Christ at 12 years old and reading through the word of God for the first time. And I remember I got to Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 39. And, and, and this, was, this was a parallel passage of our, our text here today. And I remember reading these words when Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, this is a radical verse with radical cost, and and I remember reading these and, and not understanding. Oh, but beloved, I have come to understand that a deep, true and passionate love for a savior starts to whittle away at earthly relationships that we hold so dear. When Christ is our life, other things fail to satisfy. Jesus is worthy of all of our plans and dreams. In reality, when we love Jesus, it's natural to surrender those plans and those dreams and those relationships to him because he is supremely worthy. Oh, Jesus is worthy of all your plans and all of your dreams. But third, Jesus is worthy of all of your undivided affections. Right, you you see that, that this 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 third young man he says, Lord, uh, you know I I want to go and and say goodbye, say for farewell to all those at my home, to all those relationships, to all those that I'm affectionate with. But Jesus says, I'm worthy of all your affections. You follow me. I'm more important than any other love in your entire life. All of your affections belong to me. He will later say in Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty six through twenty seven, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own wife. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oh, beloved, our affection. It's not that we truly hate and despise our family or others' affections. It's that we are so mesmerized. We are so devoted to Christ that all other things pale in comparison. Andrew Murray, a South African writer, teacher, and Christian pastor said this. He says, as we seek to find out why with such millions of Christians, the army of God that is fighting the host of darkness is so small, the only answer is the lack of heart. The enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing in our churches and in our lives. And that's because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. Oh, beloved, we have the king and the author of the universe, and we have to give him our devotion. He is worthy. He is worthy of our undivided affection. He is worthy of all of our plans and dreams, and he is worthy of our unconditional trust. Jesus is worthy. And that brings us to the second thing we see Jesus doing here at at the end of Luke chapter 9. Jesus is testing us to see if he really is our treasure, our joy, our security, our hope, our friend, and our, our family. The point of all these tough words as Jesus interacts with different people... It's not to create laws that all disciples or all missionaries have to keep. This this wasn't to be thou shalt not give your uh, all your money. Uh, this shouldn't be thou shalt give half of your money. These weren't commands that said thou shalt go without a bed or without a home or thou shalt go without a funeral for your dad. The point is that Jesus knows everyone's idol, and and what Jesus was doing is he was trying to look at the affections that were competing at the heart. He looks at every one of us and he sees right to our heart. He knows what our idols are. And the point of this passage is to say we have idols that we are holding on to as more precious than Jesus. So, beloved, when you read a passage like Luke 9, verses 57 through 62, and it hits you in the gut. What are those things that you are holding on to? What are those things that you say, oh, Jesus, please don't ever make me give this up? Because, beloved, what that is showing you is that's the idol of your heart. That is the affection that is greater than Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of all of our affection. And he is testing to see where our true treasure, where our true joy, where our true security, where our true hope, and where our true family is truly. And then we we look into Luke chapter 10 and starting in verse 4. One, we see he sends out the 72 and Luke chapter nine began very similar when Luke, when Jesus sent out the 12, this would be a trip, another trip where, where these followers would take no provision, just what was on their back. And they would accomplish many things for the kingdom. The parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10 says that they would actually heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards and cast out demons can you imagine something more exhilarating than being used by God to miraculously intervene in someone else's emergency, right? And and that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to go out and you're going to heal. You're going to do powerful things. And you're going to tell that the kingdom has come near. Men of peace will come to you and you will see them. And when, when those men of peace do not come, you will be wipe off your the 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 dirt from that city off of your off of your shoes and and then i mean this this woe to these unrepentant cities that would not repent before these followers oh there's power that's going out in the sending of the 72 And then they come back. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And there's an exclamation point. They are on a power trip. They love the power. Oh, they loved that they were able to command the demons and do things. They were loved that they were able to see the sick healed. They loved that the dead were raised and that lepers were cleansed. They were pumped. And before we look down upon them, if we're honest, so would we be. Oh, our ministry and our lives seem so much more exciting when the power of God is abundantly evident. Oh, we we love to get to be instruments of his displaying of power. Oh, but but Jesus says this. He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nothing will hurt you. Some of the most powerful signs of Satan's demands are the victories large and small that we experience in ministry. Jesus has given his spirit to be with us, in us, and trusting with authority in his name. Even over Satan, empowering us to move mountains in the ministry to his name. At Lifeline, we see biological families' lives completely, utterly transformed. The folks that had no homes and had no future have jobs and relationships and are making a difference in our world. We see kids that were aging out of orphanage is miraculously uh, oh, joining a family. And as I have traveled around the world, I've seen men healed, women, children, and, and, and husbands and wives healed of diseases and healed of all various types of things. The truth is we love miracles and the outward display of power. But verse 20, Jesus says, don't stop at these miracles. Don't get power hungry because that's not the point of the kingdom. Look at verse 20. It says, nevertheless, Jesus uses very strong term. Do not rejoice. Do not have joy in the power that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in what? That your names are written in heaven. Oh, Beloved, the truth is we want outward workings of power in our ministry, both corporately and uh, uh, personally. Oh, but just like the disciples, we get caught up in the side act. We get caught up in all of this power and we forget that at the end of the day, we are here. Our lives are here to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom. Don't get caught up in the side act. The reason that we have the power, the reason that we see the miracles, the reason that we see the great acts is so that our lips will be able to speak not of the power, but of the one who has the power. Not of the works, but of the one who did the works. That we would be able to speak of the excellency of the kingdom of God, right? And that we would be able to say with security that there is hope in no other name. The greatest power on earth is not the display of healing the sick or, or, or giving sight to the blind. The greatest power is that us, a sinner, could be saved by Grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and that our names could be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's why we do ministry to see little boys and little girls, and men and women, boys and girls all around this world, every tribe and every tongue and every nation, come to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as their Lord. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verses seven through eleven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing words of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. If our lives and ministry crumbled before us, if our gifts suddenly vanished, if our friendship and relationships never led to any tangible fruit, if our influence and fruitlessness all washed away tomorrow. The question is, what is captivating our heart? The work of Jesus or the gospel of Christ Jesus? Oh, our imaginations are prone to wonder, to the mighty ways that God might choose to use us in the saving work of the gospel. But Paul is reminding us, do not rejoice in this. Jesus is reminding us, do not rejoice in this. Rejoice that you have been saved by the blood of Christ. And that leads us to the last part of this this verse, of this passage, verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. The truth of the matter is, beloved, we are on this side of the cross and it's a tremendous place to be on this side of the cross to see the glory of God made known. And and it changes how we live. It changes how we serve. It changes how we work because on this side of the cross, we are working and living and dying to make the glory of God known in everything that we do in everything that we say and in how we live. So living on this cross, it's glorious because we see the salvation of our Lord. We see the coming kingdom of our Lord and we can see it with clarity but we also are seriously accountable for it. We're seriously accountable for making the kingdom known, for for speaking the glorious gospel. Verse 2 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Oh, beloved, let's go. Let's go and make disciples. The cost is great, but the need is greater, and the mission is absolutely critical. So let's go. Let's go and make disciples. There's no other thing that will matter in this life but that we proclaim the kingdom and the grace and the glory and the salvation that comes in no other name but Christ Jesus. This week, we are praying for the United States and biological families who are being ministered to through Lifeline's Family Count Program. And Families Count is a six-week parenting and discipleship program through local churches aimed to reach biological families of children in foster care. And so we are praying for the Families Count Conference that will take place at the end of March 2018. We're asking that God would, would send churches and partners to participate in this ministry and through this Families Count Conference. We are praying for the health and safety of church partners across the nation that will be traveling to Birmingham for this conference. Some of them are facing health challenges and others have children in their homes that require special care while they are gone. Ask the Lord to provide for the tangible needs of these partners and their families while they are at the conference and pray that the conference speakers will be led by the Holy Spirit so that the conference will be effective and glorifying to the Lord. Pray that church partners will also be led by the Spirit to do what it is that God is calling them to do with families count. Pray for moms and dads referred to families count that are walking through family restoration. Ask God to continue his work in the hearts of these parents and to provide ongoing discipleship for them as they may continue to grow in the Lord and remain firm. And ask God to save moms and dads who are far away from him. Ask that he would draw them to Jesus, open their eyes for their need of him and that their names like we've been talking about would be written in the Lamb's book of life. And pray that God would continue to go before us. And that we would hear from him regarding the expansion and other opportunities within this ministry. Ask that our hearts would be pure and that we would be at the center of the will of God. Oh Lord, we pray for families count. We pray for families that need restoration and reconciliation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that there is no way that these families can be made whole apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we would pray for the power of miracles to be done in the lives of families and children. But Lord, ultimately, we pray that your gospel would be spoken and that it would be pure. Lord, we pray for the conference that's going on at the end of March, 2018. We pray for all the details that have to come into place for that, including the families and, and the difficulties that may come their way. We pray that you would make a way for them. The right partners to get here at the right time so that the gospel could be proclaimed through churches through Families Count. And Lord, we pray continually for the moms and dads that referred to us through Families Count, that we would be able to show them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and help them to walk in that grace and their lives would be radically transformed by salvation that's in no other name but Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray and we ask this in your name. Amen.